Okay, our reading is going to be from Matthew's Gospel. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 16, then carry on through into chapter 4. And it is the, the baptism of Jesus followed by his temptation in the desert. Here we go. So starting at verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit and lead us into truth. Amen. What do you want from this life? I was 14 years old, sat in the classroom for my 20 minutes, my 20 minute appointment with the school careers advisor. What an impossible job that is, I think, in 20 minutes to um, guide the aspirations and future life of some teenager that you've, you've never met before. Anyway, I was sat there dutifully clutching onto this, which is my record of achievement folder. Now, if you were in school, in high school, at some point in the 1990s, chances are that you got issued with one of these bad boys. And this was uh, South Wales for me, so I've got it written in Welsh as well, special feature. Um, and what this was, this whole project, was that the idea was you, you got this folder and you were supposed to collect all your certificates, all your achievements in this, like a little purple packet of self-esteem to take into the, the job interview and wow, the future employer. The whole scheme fizzled out um, soon after the turn of the millennium, but I was one of the lucky ones. I was issued with one of these. So now, if ever I need to know where my swimming badge is, it's right here. Anyway, I was 14 with the careers advisor. So, so what do you want? Uh, what do you aspire to then, Owen? The thing is, I'd been on the computer, I'd filled in the, you know, answered all the questions for the, the tool thing, and the answers that it had given me were, were not to my liking. You see, I already knew um, what I wanted to do with my life. I, 
if not a footballer, which was by that point you know, looking unlikely, then I wanted to be on stage um, playing the drums or, or perhaps more nobly to, to work in international development. That sounded much more like it than the, the answers that the computer had given. I think basically I wanted to be respected. I wanted to be recognized, to be something, you know, which is not unusual for a 14-year-old boy. Um, perhaps it's not unusual for any of us, actually, at any point. What would it be for you? What do you aspire to? Or what did you aspire to? What did you achieve or what did you fail to achieve? What is it for you? What would count as a really successful life? Um, you know, in your, in your kind of imagined perfect record of achievement, what would it be stacked full with? Would it be a certain measure of recognition or adoration, arriving at a certain level of power and authority to be able to make a difference, of course? That's why we want it. Or, or some level of financial security or comfort that you know you've, you've made it at that point. A measure of happiness, perhaps. What do you want from this life? That's the question that starts the, the poem that appears on the last page of the last book that was ever published by the, the writer Raymond Carver. And he wrote it as he was ill, approaching, he knew, approaching his own death at the age of 50. You may know the poem. It's entitled Late Fragments, and it goes like this. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. And in the, the clarity of, of death, this approaching his own death, this, this thoughtful writer who'd been through a lot, been through a failed marriage, a ruinous battle with alcohol, he's able to give such elegant expression to where it's at, to call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. Beloved identity is our starting point for this whole pattern teaching journey that we are embarking on as a church. It's all about patterning our lives on Jesus. And this is where it all starts for Jesus. Before everything else that's to happen, he goes and gets baptized. And as he does so, this voice resounds from the skies. This is my son, my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. It's such a vivid portrayal of the verdict over this life the verdict of the creator and the sustainer of the universe, therefore the judge of the universe. Therefore, this is the deepest truth of things. Jesus is loved. He is the beloved son. In him, God is well pleased. What a remarkable, remarkably powerful thing is the opinion of a father. People can spend their, their whole lives searching for that approval. The most wonderful news is that in Christ, by the grace of God, we get adopted into this deepest truth of things. As we surrender our hearts, as we receive this, this gift of a new identity, we discover that this verdict booming out of the skies on that day, this verdict is, is true over our existence. It's undeserved but it's nevertheless true that you 
are a beloved child of God, pleasing to God, that his affection is for you, his affirmation, his approval. And this, this beloved identity that is graced to us as those loved, so loved by God, it's got two fundamental implications. Number one, there's nothing left to fear. And number two, there's nothing left to prove. Last week, Jess was talking about the, the first of these, how the, the love of God drives out fear, it literally displaces our fears. And this week, it's the second one, how the, the grace of God to us means that there's nothing left for us to prove. I remember as a 14-year-old, again, I must have sort of set down my record of achievement for a moment um, to, to play a football match. And this was the first senior-level football match that I'd ever played in. It wasn't a very serious match. It was a friendly um, on a very soggy pitch in Blackweir in Cardiff. And, um, but I remember being nevertheless nervous because this was with the big boys, the, the big, hairy, scary men. And I was on the bench, but I remember at that point in the second half where it, I, got, I got brought on. And um, as I did so, you know, uh, skinny little 14-year-old boy in a pristine kit that hadn't got muddy yet, um, one of the, the, the big mean defenders <laughs> on the other team just like cracked a joke about my kit and everyone laughed, I remember that. And then, and then with my first attempted touch of the ball, what this same defender, uh, the same guy did, is he came sliding in with a massive slide tackle, um, completely, you know, obliterated me. I was face down in the mud. Um, my kit was, uh, looked rather different rather quickly. And then he got up and he said, welcome to the game, sunshine. That was his, his sentence to me. With a similar immediacy, no sooner has Jesus been baptized and received this, this thunderous affirmation of the love of the Father, he's led by the Spirit, into the desert where this identity is straight away severely tested. What was he made of? The opposition comes crashing in, sliding in with the slide tackle, like welcome to the game, sunshine. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and it's a parallel there to the, the wandering of Israel being tested in the desert, the ancient Israelites, um, all those years before. Because Jesus is the one who's going to fulfill the vocation of ancient Israel. But right now, he is hungry. He's empty. It's at this point that the tempter comes to him and says, you know, if you really are the, the son of God, if you really are so especially loved, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And the tempter or the devil or the slanderer is saying, how can you believe that you are especially loved by God when, when right now you're so empty, so so lacking, so very basically unfulfilled. And Jesus responds, quoting from Deuteronomy, as he does every time to each of these temptations. He quotes from Deuteronomy, which is another kind of identifying marker of him with the, the, the plight, the vocation of Israel um, all those years before the Israelites in the desert. And he says in this case, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And at that point, I wonder, is he holding on to the words that came from the mouth of God just 40 days earlier at his baptism, those words that said, this is my beloved son, in him I'm well pleased. 
Is he holding on to those words? Is he being sustained by them? I think so. Then the dark voice of temptation comes again, this time whisking him up onto the roof of the temple in Jerusalem, right in the heart of the action, in front of the crowds. And the temptation is to throw himself down, to do something spectacular, to be saved, to to kind of create this definitive proof of his um, special status. And again, Jesus resists, again quoting from Deuteronomy. The third temptation, this time the devil offers Jesus power. All the kingdoms of the world and their glory, their splendor. And again, Jesus resists. Again, he quotes with scripture. To every attempt that the devil makes to cast doubt on Jesus' beloved identity, Jesus remains resolute that his identity as loved by God is not riding on any, any of this stuff. So the devil's highlighting Jesus' lack of uh, status, his lack of power, his lack of followers at that point, his, his lack of food. And Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't, it doesn't ride on all of that stuff. I am still the beloved son. And he's teaching us that we do not need to achieve a certain level of power and influence We do not need to achieve a certain level of recognition. We do not even need to achieve a certain level of fulfillment to still know ourselves as beloved children of God. There's nothing left to prove. We are loved. We can feel ourselves beloved on the face of the earth. And you know, when we are delivered from from all this stuff, There's like a little ladder climbing up (laughs) as the sort of nifty logo on this this thing. When we're delivered from all this stuff, from these attempts to climb and prove ourselves and collect certificates or followers or wealth or power, when we're delivered from this stuff, we're delivered into freedom. Within the love of God, we're free to have a go, to take a risk. We're free to fail. We're free to care less about all of the systems and rankings, you know, like the ranking systems that the world tries to put on us. We can be free from some of that pressure. We can be free to go unrecognized sometimes. Free for things to not all work out according to our plans and our dreams. Free to relax from our attempts that we make to control things in the future. And there's a real joy to be had in this freedom. But in fact, I'm talking about something much more than that. And this is is really key. We are set free into a radically different understanding of what success might look like. This is where the the whole Jesus pattern is so radically different from our normal human, human default settings around success that I think we probably would do well to get rid of that word success um, on the whole. And instead, um, I prefer the word fidelity. Instead of aiming for success, how about we aspire and, and aim for lives of fidelity? Fidelity to the love of God. So fidelity is a bit of a funny word. It means faithfulness or staying true. So you know the word hi-fi, as in like you listen to some music on a hi-fi system? Well, that stands for high fidelity. And it's a term that came in in the 1950s, I think, marketing sort of 
audio equipment, um, and the manufacturers were saying, this is, this is high fidelity. If something is high fidelity, it is very true to the original source. There's no loss of distortion. Um, there's no loss of quality. It's, it's very true to the original. If we recognize Jesus as our source, if he is the one who shows us what a human life really looks like when it is most fully lined up with the love of God, then we have to reckon with the fact that his vocational path took him to the cross. His, his success was actually, what it looked like was the most humiliating death. What it was, was his most humiliating death. Hanging there naked, shamed on a cross. Abandoned by most of his followers at that point. You know, stick the cross in your, your record of achievement and take that to your next careers advice appointment. It doesn't compute. It's so radically different from all of the stuff that we, that we normally aim our lives at. Yet this is how the love of God meets our very broken situation. This is what it looks like. It's the very opposite of chasing at successes of wealth or uh, status or happiness or security. But it is the very surprising pattern that we can learn a, a new sort of fidelity to, learn to live in line with faithfulness, fidelity. It's not about results. It's about staying true and following this, this, this different, different path. So it doesn't come naturally to us. Real quick, how can our minds be renewed in this direction? How can we get into this new imagination around success? Well, I'm just going to briefly suggest two prescriptions, and they're these. Go a bit more mystic and go a bit further into community. Go a bit more mystic. I'm just talking about contemplative prayer, really. Those, those moments where we, where we learn to reside, somehow learning to reside within the assurance of God's love, turning this, this verdict um, tuning into this verdict that is over Jesus' life and realizing it's over our lives as we reside in him. How can we do this? Routinely, I would suggest, you could take 20 minutes or so, make a cup of tea, become a weirdo for 20 minutes, and just sit and, and do nothing, achieve nothing, except just opening yourselves up to this truth, confronting your feelings with the facts that, that God says that you are his beloved child. I find it helpful sometimes to take a verse. Um, there's some good ones in the Psalms, like, you are my portion, or whom have I in heaven but you. Maybe take that, those words, there's, there's loads in there, you can find one for yourself, and just sit with that, if that helps, for, for 20 minutes, just sitting in that place, confronting our feelings of lack with the superabundance of God's love. Go a bit more mystic. And there's some on, in the online resources following um, this week, there'll be some more you know, tips and explanation, hand-holding through um, what that could mean, how you could go a bit more mystic. Um, but the other thing was go a bit further into community. Lean into actual community, which is really hard at the moment, granted, but nevertheless look and aspire to points of connection and responsibility entering into the mutual submission of life together. 
in meaningful relationship. And what you find is that these awkward friendships that we enjoy and endure with one another, they contain within them the power to deliver us from the notion that life is a race, from the notion that, that human flourishing is some like zero-sum thing where there's only enough flourishing to go around. And, and we get delivered from some of those ideas where we're trying to get ahead all the time when we see the people that we would be trying to get ahead of and know we love them. And what we find is that we end up using our power, laying it down in the kind of cross-shaped way to empower others. So don't just invest in your record of achievement. Invest in love. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and lead us into truth. Come, trigger new possibilities, new shapes, new aspirations, new recognitions in our minds, we pray.